entering the Freedom Hut. Trump unloads on a loaded question. Nick Cannon has thoughts on white people. Is the Goya boycott backfiring and Hong Kong special status is gone? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you for being here. My, oh, my, I cannot believe it is the middle of summer. You know, I don't know if it's technically the actual midpoint, but it feels like the middle of July is the middle of summer. This thing is, is it flying by? I don't know. Every day feels like an eternity with the COVID situation across the, across the country and around the world, and yet the time still flies by in some way. We have much to get to. I, I wanted to start, if I could, with uh, what was a, a bit of a, a stunning question and an even better answer from the president of the United States yesterday, because as you know, the the two primary battlegrounds for politics right now, it's not. Oh, they're not over uh, just general health care. I know covid obviously relates to health care, but it's not over how we're going to pay for health care. It's not over the border or even taxes or national security abroad. No, we're fighting over. Issues of racial division and, quote, systemic racism and COVID-19 and the response to it. That's where all of all of the media narrative and energy is currently going really on on both sides. And certainly with COVID, it's understandable why that's the case. It's not as clear uh, to a lot of folks why we should be spending so much time talking about police reform and defunding cops when we all know that. It's already backfiring as a strategy for making communities safer. Maybe it's not backfiring as a Democrat mobilization tool. But the president was asked by uh, Catherine Herridge over at CBS a question that you got to wonder why. Now, I think she's just reflecting the the liberal journo consensus out there, which is that they still believe that people that black people in particular in this country are dying at the hands of evil cops every day. When, as we know, it's actually quite rare. It's very rare that a law enforcement officer kills a black American for reasons of racism or excessive force or whatever uh, illicit reason we, we may be uh, under the circumstances. <clears throat> we know that. But Trump was asked this question. I want you to hear how he responded. Play clip one. Let's talk about George Floyd. You said George Floyd's death was a terrible thing. Terrible. Why are African-Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people. More white people, by the way. More white people. Now, what was stunning wasn't just that the president here, you're starting to see glimpses of who this guy was in 2016 and for most of his presidency. And I understand. I think he's been just beset on all sides with this COVID thing and then the BLM protests and Antifa and the statue toppling. He's been under a lot of duress and doesn't get a whole lot of help. And I got to say, it feels like much of the of the establishment conservative media 
much of the establishment conservative media has been just ineffective in their messaging on this. Ineffective. Not willing to really take the fight to the other side. I think there are people who want to make sure that they don't get too deep in their Trump support this time so that if Trump loses, they still are are corporate friendly. They still can hold on to their privileged purchase, uh, which is obviously not about the movement and not about the country first. It's about some people lining their pocketbooks. But I I also saw right after the president said this, there were media. I, I, I try to remember who it was. I think it was Reuters suggested that he presented without evidence that more white people are killed every year uh, by cops than than black people are. No, this is just a fact that we all know. Every, everyone knows this. This, is, this has been a part. The president doesn't have to cite the page of the study or the FBI report. This is known. This is a known fact, right? This is a, these are two different things that, that people already know. The statistics show that more white people are killed every year than black people by cops. And yet there's no movement out there. We, I, and look, I know why. This is where all the social justice warriors would start screaming about systemic racism and all this stuff. Okay, but the truth is the truth. And we, we need to start digging in deep on this. We need to find those facts that undermine the leftist narrative and just keep repeating it and saying it and staring into the faces of the leftist mob when they chant their slogans that are loaded with political implication, but are either misdirections from the facts, misrepresentations, or just outright fabrications. That's what we're up against in this debate. And so I was happy to see the president just say, look, this is crazy. Why are you asking me this question? How could somebody, how could someone answer that? Why are black people still killed by cops in America. How could you have a satisfactory answer from the commander in chief? I, I mean, in keeping with what a journalist is looking for here. I mean, Catherine Harridge, people think of her as usually pretty squared away. You know, I, 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 I'll leave that for you to decide on your own. But I'm looking at this. I'm watching this as it happens. And I say to myself, what are they? What is the answer they're looking for here? And they're not looking for any answer. They're just, this is virtue signaling. This is what journos do. Why do black people still die at the hands of police in America? Uh, well, why, why does anyone die at the hands of police in America? Sometimes the cops, because cops are human beings, they have their own, uh, their own you know, temperament issues, prejudices. Occasionally, rarely, they criminally kill somebody. Right? We used to call them perps in uniform in the NYPD. Uh, but usually when the cops kill somebody, this is just the truth by the statistics, that person deserved the use of violent force against them. Right? That, that is the overwhelming majority of cases. The cops kill somebody because the person pulls a gun on them. Or the cops kill somebody because he's running at them with a knife. And so why ask this question in such an open-ended fashion? It's to, to just play upon to really prey upon the fear that is growing and the anxiety across the country that we aren't as racially uh, racially tolerant and as decent to each other as all of us have thought for some time now that racial division is much worse than any of us are willing to to say out loud and you know we're getting this constant lecture from the left-wing 
intelligentsia or a bunch of frauds on this issue, of course. You know, they, they don't spend time in impoverished minority neighborhoods. They're not worried that the millionaire journos on CNN and MSNBC and ABC and you name it, they're not worried about what's happening in their neighborhood at night. If anything, they're out in the Hamptons on the weekends while there are shooting sprees here in New York City. But the president gave an answer that rattled the media. We're not going to keep playing along with whatever propaganda they're throwing out there. Why do black people still die in this country at the hands of police? It, it depends. And you can ask the same question about why any person of any color dies at the hands of police in this country. Here's a question. Why is it that Asian Americans die at substantially lower rates per capita than white people in America? I'm just wondering why are more more white people are killed than Asian people by cops on a per capita interaction with police basis? A lot more. Does that mean that cops are biased against white people? You know, they're, they're setting up all these constructs for these discussions and they're all only allowed to come to certain conclusions and everything around the construct, the, the logic that is used, the facts that they're picking for one individual application are never allowed to be, you know, we're never allowed to look at this and say, you're making a claim based upon this set of data. But why isn't that claim true about another set of data? Or how do you explain that? They won't answer. They won't answer. No, racism. Racism. And really now we've reached a point where white people are supposed to be humiliated by their whiteness. Liberals have adopted this as a strategy. They like this. And white liberals in particular love to publicly debase their whiteness. They, they, they derive uh, a feeling of virtue, a feeling of, of pleasure from this, of righteousness, self-righteousness, of course. I've been thinking recently about writing a, you know, a, a Jonathan Swift style essay about my how I, I want to purge my horrific whiteness from myself just to see if I could get it. I get I bet you get it published in top peer reviewed academic journals about the the training and steps necessary to purge one's whiteness. This is insanity. This undermines not just the rule of law, but our moral order, our sense of individual dignity and and worth and responsibility. Why should anyone's skin color determine anything about them? The conservative position is it does not. The conservative point of view is whether you're white, black, brown, whether you're Asian, uh, Latino, you know, Arab, name it, doesn't matter. All that does matter is who you are as a person, what you do, and the law treats you as a human being, period. That's it. That's our position. That is the right's position on this issue. What is the left's position? Oh, my gosh. How much time do you have? White people now are supposed to treat their whiteness as though it is a handicap. They're supposed to apologize for it. They're supposed to grovel. And if you don't grovel, you're treated like you're a white nationalist. Oh, why, why, why aren't you apologizing for your whiteness? Why aren't you apologizing for you know, your ancestors or whatever? First of all, to treat people from, you know, uh, southern Italy like they've had the same experience as people from Belarus and act like everyone's history is the same. You know, they, if you're in America now, it's all the same. This is completely ahistorical garbage. But liberals, their minds have been infected with this poison and they're infecting as many other people as they can 
with their designations about racial attitudes, racial history, all of this. And we're supposed to accept it or else. No, we're going to have to meet them on this battlefield of ideas. We're going to have to say, no, I reject this concept that whiteness is something that all of a sudden you can degrade, denigrate, hate. You can hate whiteness and get away with it in elite culture in America. You can. There is no such thing as a joke about white people that you can't tell. There's no such thing as a historical claim about white people raping and murdering and pillaging and you know all these things. You go out there and say that, and you will be fine. Some people might point out that that's a little bit crazy and so on and so forth. But you can say all these things. And if you're a leftist, and particularly if you're a leftist who is a person of color, you can get away with it. It's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not acceptable. We, we, I'm, not, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not okay with this, that being white is to be treated as a bad thing unless you're somebody who will constantly talk about how bad your whiteness is. Then you're, then you're okay. This is a false premise. It's an immoral premise, and it needs to be rejected. And the, the legions of leftist idiots out there need to know that their arguments, their intellectually vapid, self-contradictory, and worthless arguments about race in America today, like whiteness is somehow something to be ashamed of, is not going to continue in the public sphere without pushback. No attitudes about an individual's race and their dignity and worth tied to that are consistent, morally, and acceptable socially. This should not be the case. We should not allow this. And, and the, the constant denigration of whiteness has just reached a point now where, I mean, the people who say this, people who talk about you know, suppressing whiteness and white privilege and white supremacy, they're just morons. They really, they're really just morons. And we have to now explain to them that their ideas are stupid. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But Buck, you might say, this seems a bit extreme. Nobody would really get away with saying horrible things about white people. No, no public figure, no, no millionaire celebrity would think that it was in any way appropriate to truly denigrate white people as subhuman savages, quote, barbarians who rape, murder and kill. Oh, I bring you former husband, I believe, of Mariah Carey and TV host for a show I can't remember. Nick Cannon. Play clip. Uh, play clip four. Melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul that mm -hmm. we call it. We call it soul. We soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. Right. So the people that don't have it have are are a little and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because I'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to Minister Farrakhan to where they may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of Caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate mm -hmm. them so then they're acting out of 
fear. They're acting out of low self-esteem. They're acting out of a, a deficiency. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the only way that they can act is evil. The only way they can act is evil. He goes on to say in that same clip that they uh, rape and kill and are barbarians. Here you have uh, someone who has 4.7 million Twitter followers. Okay, so this is not some rando we found on the Internet who had a relationship until today with CBS Viacom, one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world who's a multimillionaire celebrity who's on a show who's just saying straight up white people have less pigment and are less than people with more pigment and they are evil. That's what he said, the word evil. And effectively, they're subhuman barbarians who are upset that they're not as awesome as people with more pigment. This is the definition of racism. But you know what the left says about stuff like this, right? It's not really possible for Nick Cannon, who is black, to be racist because of structural inequality. Well, if that's the case, what, what's wrong with what he said? Is, is there any you should really ask any leftist, you know, is there anything wrong with what Nick Cannon said? Does, does that does it bother you that a multimillionaire celebrity who's who's a radio host? I don't even I didn't realize there's a radio host. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fellow radio host. My God. It's it's stunning. It's stunning. This guy has been embraced by corporate America. He's rich. He's famous. And I, I want to ask you this. Do you think he's the only he's the only uh, celebrity who thinks this way? I, I'm, I guarantee you there are whites. Uh, there are white celebrities who feel that everything he said is true. <clears throat> I can speak to that. Oh, for sure. That, we, that, they, that they have been so saturated with self-loathing for their whiteness that they will say that. Nick Cannon is not the only prominent, influential person who has this kind of resentment toward whiteness. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, it wasn't just... Uh White people in general that Nick Cannon, who I've also producer Mark, he is a, a, a TV host as well. I, I know him as Mariah. I'm being serious. I know him mostly because he married Mariah Carey. And I know that he also is like a celebrity, but I never really know what he's doing. He has TV shows, too. Yeah, I mean, he's been on Nickelodeon. He started Nickelodeon. He's been on MTV. He's the host of The Masked Singer on Fox. He's been everywhere for a long time. Huh. Interesting. Well. Wonder how much longer he's going to be doing all those things. My guess is he'll probably just have to come out and give some kind of uh, some kind of half half apology or something. I don't know. I, maybe he already has for all I know. Um, but it wasn't because it wasn't just white people in general that Nick Cannon weighed in on. Um, it was also more specifically. And I know not all Jews are white, uh, but it was uh, the, the Jewish people who also received some Nick Cannon now, producer Mark, where was uh, play play clip five, please, about Nick Cannon's thoughts on Jews. Who are they when we when we speak of because this is where it truly is. And we talk about those, <coughs> the, the, the six corporations when we talk, when we go as deep as the Rothschild centralized banking, those the, 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 the 13 families 
uh, the bloodlines that control everything, even outside of America. When right. we talk about mm-hmm. the, the the people who, if we were truly the the children of Israel and we're defining who the Jewish people are because I feel like if we actually can understand that construct, then we can see that there is no hate involved. When we talk about right, right. the lies, the deceit, the how the, the fake dollar controls all of this, then maybe we can get to the reason why they wanted to silence you, why they want to silence mm-hmm. Minister Farrakhan, and they want to throw that. We are having hate speech when it's never hate speech, when it's not. Right. You can't be anti-Semitic when the Semitic, when, when we, we are the Semitic people, when we are the same people that you, who they want to be. Okay. Uh, producer Mark, you, you are, you are Jewish. Um, what, how, how one to 10, how anti-Semitic do you find this? Around a 10. I, I, it's almost hard to follow what he thinks he's saying, I, I catch on to this, that that the real that, that, that he seems to be saying that the real Jews are black and they're, they're what we know of today. And there are Ethiopian Jews, so there are real Jews who are black. But what we in America often associate with Judaism, um, they're all not Jewish. Is that. Is that where he's going? Sounds like it. It's a common thing that you've heard from people like Steven Jackson, the former NBA player, Deshaun Jackson, the current NFL player who was in hot water last week or the week before about uh, some anti-Semitic comments. It's a common thing you see coming out. All, just his, search what, on Twitter. What, what, what it's disgusting. Was the, uh, what was the, the, the basics of, of what Deshaun Jackson said again? Just so Deshaun Jackson, on, uh, on his Instagram story, posted comments that he thought were from Hitler they ended up not being Hitler comments, but he thought they were and was trying to spread uh, comments like that in defense of his BLM stuff. And he is still uh, with an NFL team? Yeah, he's on the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you mean you can you, you could be if, if you are a, a person of color today and you decide to say something that's so anti-Semitic that you thought it was from Hitler. He thought it was from Hitler, or was he thought it was from Hitler? He thought it was a Hitler quote, yes. And you share that, and people are like, hey, hey, don't do that. Don't be super, don't be super hateful toward Jews. That's not good. Um, meanwhile, if you say, hey, there's no disparity on a per capita basis between the shootings of black and white men in America when you account for uh, the per capita, meaning how many instances of contact, how many possible crimes are being committed by each community. Everyone goes, how dare you? Like, well, this is we're talking about law enforcement. These are just facts. We're talking about facts. Right. I mean, this is. I'm here. I'm here in New York City. And there is always this discussion about crime and policing and law enforcement. And what often gets oh, what gets left out of the discussion is that Rikers Island, which is the prison for New York City, um, is over 90 percent black and Hispanic. And the city is obviously a much lesser percentage black and Hispanic. So when they talk about uh, stops by cops and when they, you know people will use these statistics and they'll be very sloppy about it because they'll just say, well, you know, cops arrested this many individuals from the uh, from the black community in New York, and therefore it's racist. Well, the, the, the question you'd have to ask, you'd have to right away want to know, well, how, how many crimes are being committed within any individual community? 
And is that what's causing the greater interaction with police or is it racism? You know, these are these are the ways that you have to frame these issues. But it's a fascinating situation to see uh, Nick Cannon say incredibly anti-Semitic stuff. And to call it anti-white, I think, is (laughs) that's an understatement. He's, he's, He's actually telling people that because your skin is lighter, you are less valuable. You are worse as a human being. That is what Nick Cannon is saying. And from what I understand, a lot of this is coming from. He mentioned uh, Minister Farrakhan numerous times. There is there is just a pass that's that's given in the media, a pass given to those who kiss up to Farrakhan, a pass given to those who are adherents of Farrakhan. And we're all supposed to just turn a blind eye to this. Say, oh, you know, there's nothing really going on there. Barack Obama had a handshake with Farrakhan, a very warm handshake. There was a photograph of it. That photographer, who was a journalist, decided not to share that photograph before the election. Uh, It was a photograph with somebody who is a vile bigot. Farrakhan is a vile bigot. But he's still allowed to be, you know, involved. Certain people are allowed to say that he's okay and they believe him. And we're, we're going to, you know, this is where we're heading now as, as society continues to fixate and focus on this. We're going to have to deal with what's really happening, where the animosities really are, and who's really a bigot. That's what's, that's what's coming. That's the next phase of this. Where are, where are bigotries allowed really out in the open in our society, but we're not supposed to talk about it. Uh, The Nation of Islam and Farrakhan against Jews, that's certainly one place. But also the anti-whiteness that, as I've said, is so prominent now among white liberals, not only among white liberals, but so prominent uh, prominent among white liberals is stunning. And and if you're wondering um, what we're also going to be finding out, because now there's all this discussion about schools and what we should be teaching in schools when it comes to race and all of this. Uh, Here you have Byron York, who shared this. I mean, this was this is stunning. Uh, Hat tip Byron York on Twitter for this one. The National Museum of African-American History and Culture wants to make you aware of certain signs of whiteness. This is all a quote. Individualism, hard work, objectivity. The nuclear family, progress, respect for authority, and delayed gratification. And, and he shared these. This is a Smithsonian Museum. This is like the, the gold standard of American museums, right? The Smithsonian, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, has posters up. And, and it's, it's posted on their website. That that talk about it's talking about race assumptions and aspects of whiteness and white culture in the United States. And this is how it reads. White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practice in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, We have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. I can't read all this to you, but it's it's fascinating. These are the things that are identified as whiteness that have been internalized. And I suppose we're we're now going to question whether these are good things. First of all, I question that these are white things. They're saying they're white things, 
But then are we allowed to say that these things are just inherently virtuous and praiseworthy? Or is that now white supremacist? I, it's, it's not even clear. How are you supposed to talk about this? This is from the Smithsonian. You think that it's any better what your, your kids are being taught in public schools or at university? Oh, universities is even worse. Nick Cannon's probably going to get a professorship at Harvard. Just wait. Rugged individualism, the Smithsonian says about white culture. Family structure. Emphasis on scientific method. Protestant work ethic. Uh, and they, they go through all, all of these things. Justice is based on English common law. Protect property and entitlements. Intent counts. Yeah, that's right. Those, those are all true about justice. Oh, stunning. Status, power, and authority. Your job is who you are. That's not, that's not a white virtue. That's not a virtue, period. It's not true. Respect authority. Well, respect authority that deserves respect. Heavy value on ownership of goods, space, and property. I don't think it's a white thing to value property. I think everyone values property. Uh, it's you got to go. I mean, you could go through this in detail. Religion, Christianity is the norm. Anything other than Judeo-Christian tradition is foreign. No tolerance for deviation from single God concept. That's just again. This is not. This is not based in reality. There's a ton of white atheists, for one thing, running around the country, and I know there are a lot of there are white atheists who listen to this show. Atheists of all colors who listen to this show. I mean, this is. But you see, the, the problem that we have is that no one ever wants to delve into this stuff. One, because if you truly and I mean this, if you misspeak in any way, the woke mob doesn't they don't care about intent. They've told you this in the Smithsonian. The intent doesn't matter. If you misspeak about these very complicated and often convoluted issues and the way that they're projected by the dominant left wing narrative, if you do that, you're destroyed. So people don't want to talk about it. And so what happens is that these narratives largely go unopposed and they end up on posters. They have, you know, celebrities with enormous, you know, multi, multi million person followings saying insanely racist stuff. And he's going to he's still going to be he will be a rich celebrity in a year. I guarantee you. He might have to apologize a little bit now. CBS Viacom has severed their relationship with Nick Cannon because of the anti-Semitic stuff, they said, I, I got to say, yes, uh, producer Mark, not not that I asked producer Mark to speak for the entire Jewish community, but as somebody who's Jewish, he's like, yeah, it's really it is really uh, anti-Semitic. It clearly is. I know that, too. But also the anti-white stuff was pretty gross, wasn't it? Or CBS didn't mention that in the statement that I saw, which I thought was kind of strange. So we've got it. We've got to address these things. People. What, what you and I recognize, which is individual value, we're all equal in God's eyes. We all should be equal in the eyes of the law. We should be treated the same way. We're all human beings. We're doing our best. We all have our own struggles. We should be kind and decent and supportive of each other, irrespective of race, creed, religion, color, you name it. That's how I approach life every day. That's how I know you approach life every day. That's not what the perception, the vision, the narrative of you and me and the rest of America is, according to the left, we are all in this constant state of warring factions, not just political factions, racial factions, gender factions. This is identity politics. They want to keep us all at each other's throats all the time. When at the end of the day, oh, you know, white Americans, black Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, we want 
uh, security, freedom, prosperity. We want our kids to have good schools. We want to live in a nice, comfortable place. We want to have good food to eat. We want to be safe on the streets. We want to be able to pursue our dreams. We want the same things. And that's what America is really supposed to be about. We've created a system that allows us to pursue those same things. But it is a system where there's also accountability and where there's individual responsibility. And blaming the system all the time is not going to make anything better. Changing the system where it's deficient, fine. Overthrowing the system, which is what we're being told now has to happen. No, that's just rage. That's just rage. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Who are we really as Americans? Who are we supporting when we say we support cops? Something will come to your mind when I say that. Right? When I ask these questions, you'll have a projection in your own, you know, of your own perception. When I think of cops, I think of people doing a critical job and doing it well. And I'm, I'm thankful that there are people that put on the badge and that make sure that we sleep soundly at night to the best of their ability. I'm thankful for that. And I also know that they do things across the country for all communities. And also our law enforcement community is itself very diverse, particularly in large cities. So you have police officers who are black and brown and Asian and white who are doing God's work every day. An example of this uh, was up in, in Michigan, uh, there was a cop, and, you, and we'll play the audio for you. It has a happy ending, so the, the mother is hysterical, understandably. She's got a, a three-week-old infant who is choking to death, and her mother is watching, completely distraught, understandably. Cop is on the scene, and this is how the circumstance, he, I believe is an, a, the officer is Asian. Um, not that that matters, Asian-American, but I'm just saying, we do have very diverse police forces across the country. Um, play clip two. See the baby. He's still blinking. He's blinking. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Yes, there you go. Okay. He's crying. He's crying. Okay. He's crying. Hey, it's okay. He's crying. He's fine. The baby was all right. The officer performed what is essentially a Heimlich maneuver for infants. Got the obstruction out of the baby's throat, turned the baby upside down, did exactly what the officer was trained to do, saved that three-week-old's life. Defund cops, the libs scream. Defund cops, yeah. Because if maybe there was a group of angry protesters there, things would have turned out better. Uh, It's time that we show respect in this society to people who deserve it, and it's time that we tell those who are disrespectful out of their own personal animus and desire for power that we're not going to tolerate it anymore. We support our cops. Back the blue. And this cop's a hero. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. For the most part, I believe, for the most part, you can trust respected medical authorities. You know, I believe I'm one of them, so I think you can trust me. Um, but I, I would stick with respected medical authorities who have a track record of telling the truth, who have a track record 
of giving information and policy and recommendations based on scientific evidence and good data. So if I were to give advice to you and your family and your friends of your family, I would say that's the safest bet to do, to listen to the recommendations from that category of people. But it's entirely understandable how the public can get mixed messages and then get a bit confused about what they should do. So basically, Dr. Fauci is like, look, I'm the man. Listen to me. I know what's up. That's how we roll. Don't listen to the other. Listen to the Fauci. The Fauci is here for you. The Fauci has got you covered. Yep. That's right. You know, the, the Fauci has got to be about Bernie Sanders age. They're both from Brooklyn here in New York. You know, they must have lived pretty close to you. I just was thinking about this the other day. You think of how many people in, you know, in the uh, public eye had to be crossing paths at some point. You know, especially if they've been in the public public eye for as many decades as, as uh, some of the people we see currently out there are. But, you know, those are two of my favorite. I just think of it, two of my favorite Brooklyn characters, Fauci and Bernie Sanders. I, you know, and Fauci went to my high school. So he went to uh, went to a Jesuit school here in New York, my, my school. I'm sure they love him. I'm sure they don't they don't celebrate notable alumni Buck Sexton. <laughs> I doubt that the Jesuits are kind of commies. But anyway, some of them are great. Now we have uh, Fauci out there telling you the mitigation, a mask. You got to wear the mask. Producer Mark, are you wearing a mask? The Fauci wants to know. Rarely, but I never leave the house. What about indoors? What about when Mrs. Mark is making you some, uh, you know, some fettuccine? Are you wearing a mask in my own apartment? Yeah. No. What about the mitigation? I think I'll be fine. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. All right. Well, I'm not sure about that yet. We'll see. The, 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 the science is not settled about mask wearing indoors alone because you could breathe. What if you breathe in air that you breathed out and the virus came in through a window? Let's say the virus. It's like a heat seeking missile. It comes from anywhere. All right. So Fauci is telling you, listen to him because he's uh, he's a guy who's an expert and he's so right. I will tell you that if you look back at his record, he has been working in public health for a very long time. He was also um, very wrong about which communities and the degree of risk different communities in this country had uh, from the HIV virus. Now, we didn't know a lot about the virus in the early days. I understand that. But he had that very wrong. And look, science is supposed to be a process of constantly Testing and retesting assumptions based on data. And we'll have to see. But um, let's see what we have now from Dr. Fauci here. He, oh, we have not Fauci, but Peter Navarro, the trade representative for the, to the Trump, for the Trump administration, the trade expert for the Trump administration, I should say. He put out a USA Today column where he wrote the following. It's short, by the way. I could read this whole thing to you because this is not a long one at all. He writes, the title says a lot. Anthony Fauci has been wrong about everything I have interacted with him on. Peter Navarro. When you ask me whether I listen to his advice, my only answer, uh, my answer is only with skepticism and caution. And he writes the following. Dr. Anthony Fauci has a good bedside manner with the public. But he has been wrong about everything I have interacted with him on. In late January, when I was making the case on behalf of the president, 
to take down the flights from China, Fauci fought against the president's courageous decision, which might well have saved hundreds of thousands of American lives. When I warned in late January in a memo of a possibly deadly pandemic, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases was telling the news media not to worry. When I was working feverishly on behalf of the president in February to help engineer the fastest industrial mobilization of the healthcare sector in our history, Fauci was still telling the public the China virus was low risk. When we were building new mask capacity in record time, Fauci was flip-flopping on the use of masks. And when Fauci was telling the White House Coronavirus Task Force that there was only anecdotal evidence in support of hydroxychloroquine to fight the virus, I confronted him with scientific studies providing evidence of safety and efficacy. A recent Detroit hospital study showed a 50% reduction in the mortality rate when the medicine is used in early treatment. Now Fauci says a falling mortality rate doesn't matter when it is the single most important statistic to help guide the pace of our economic reopening. The lower the mortality rate, the faster and more we can reopen. So when you ask me whether I listen to Dr. Fauci's advice, my answer is only with skepticism and caution. Oh, boy. Not allowed to say not allowed to say that. Not allowed. Not allowed. Uh-uh. No. St. Fauci, you don't you don't criticize. You don't ask questions. You do what he says. You do it in mitigation. That's what you do. Yep. Trust medical authorities like me, at least. Look, Navarro is not a medical authority, but this, this is he's not saying he is. He's not saying he is a medical authority. He's just saying that uh, he's been told things many times that aren't true by the guy who is the authority. Shouldn't you be able to pay attention to that? Shouldn't that matter? You would you would think so. You would think that would be the case. But sure enough, mm-mm. no, we have more hysteria all over the place, more hysteria, more insanity. And for example, you have uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, who is demanding that you wear masks even when you're not near anybody. Play 14 here. You know, when I talk to young people that I see out that don't have masks, they say to me, well, Mayor, I, I wear it in the grocery store. I wear it in, you know, other kinds of stores. But we really need them to be wearing face coverings everywhere anytime they walk outside of their home. And they really need to religiously practice social distancing. Outside your home. Got to wear a mask all the time. Mask wearing has been pretty much a religion in California. And yet they've had a huge spike in cases in California. There is certainly an argument. We don't know because it's hard to get all the data. And in fact, some of the data we see is wrong. Oh, wait, here, here's here's something I meant to mention to you all before. And it's that uh, there has been at least a, a few cases. Uh, here we go. Of hospitals in Florida. And this is from the Fox affiliate in Orlando. Florida Department of Health says some labs have not reported negative COVID results. And the Florida Department of Health has said laboratories not been countless labs have reported a 100 percent positivity rate, which means every single person tested was positive. Other labs had very high positivity rates. Fox 35 News found that testing sites like uh, one local Centra Care reported that 83 people tested and all tested positive. 
another one, NCF Diagnostics reported 88% were positive. How could that be? When they looked into it, um, Orlando Health had a 98% positivity rate. And then when they finally contacted the hospital, guess what they found out? The positivity rate wasn't 98%, as was in the initial report put out to the public. The positivity rate for COVID-19 was 9.4%. People who tell you that anyone who questions some of the numbers and the accuracy of the numbers is being a conspiracy theorist can't read or don't read. Clearly, with all the data coming in, all the uncertainties about is, you know, is this a covid patient or is this somebody who came in that tested negative who might be positive later? I, I, there are so many different ways that the data has to be assessed and sifted through. And look, the top priority of the hospitals and any medical center is just going to be making sure that patients get the best care. But that's not what anybody talks about. No, no, no. no. We're just looking at the numbers every day and we're all supposed to be terrified uh we're all supposed to be constantly uh in fear of the future and that's look it's just no way to live i mean that's that's all along i've been trying to uh, i've been trying to take the position here that no matter what okay here we go july 14th updated all right i don't have the 15th number in front of me july 14th 300 351 new deaths Fifty-eight thousand. 858 new cases, 351 new deaths. Uh, that's down from at least 2,000 a day at the peak. It's a fraction. And yet we have more cases we've ever had before. So what's really going on here? There are a lot of moving pieces, a lot of things going on. But you don't shut down the country because of a virus that has already spread all across the nation, that is in every major city, that has been in every large community, you don't shut down the country because of a virus like this that you cannot stop. And that's just that that should be the end of it at some point. Right. People have to realize this. But look, the same people who are telling us that the uh, that the marches, the BLM marches that were going on were justified, even if they were risking public health because they were so important for public health. Those same people are now saying that schools can't be open, even though. All the evidence, all the science, all of that shows quite clearly that um, it's safe for kids to be in school. Other countries have done it, and it's fine. And when you hear Democrats on TV trying, oh, but what about this? What about that? No, no, no. I thought this was about the science, not about the what about. But as we all know, what's it really about? Joe Biden winning the election no surprise there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Speaking of Joe Biden, here's what that third tier intellect and second tier politician has to say about Republican policies and how they're holding us back. Play clip 11. This is all that Donald Trump and the Republicans offer. Backward looking policies that will harm the environment make communities less healthy, hold back economic promise, while other countries race ahead. It's a mindset that doesn't have any faith in the capacity of the American people to compete, to innovate, and to win. It's never been a good bet to bet against the American people. And when you do, it will exact a deadly cost. 
what is he what does he even think he's saying? I mean, that's what I end up having to ask a lot about Biden. What? It's like politician Mad Libs. They look back instead of looking into the future and never bet against a bird in the hand is worth, you know, two bumblebees on a tree. And I'm tired. I mean, it's really, really, that's where we are with this guy. What? What is he talking about? What is he saying? What are the policies that Republicans are looking back? Oh, what? Usage of fossil fuels? We're going to. Oh, no, of course. That's probably one of them. These complete maniacs. Just when we're, we're already still in the grip as a nation of the COVID-19 panic and hysteria, Biden's out there pulling the old, we've only got nine years or we're all going to die from climate change. Play 10. We're going to get back into the Paris Agreement, back into the business of leading the world. We're going to lock in progress that no future president can roll back or undercut to take us backward again. Science requires a timetable for measuring progress on climate that isn't three decades or even two. Science tells us we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. So my timetable results is in my first four years as president. The jobs we'll create, the investments we'll make, and the irreversible steps we'll take to mitigate and adapt to the climate change and put our nation on the road to net zero emissions no later than 2050. No later than 2050, I think he said. Joe Biden's not going to last that long. Uh, look, I'm, not, I'm just for the Joe Biden's not going to be in charge in 2050. I, I think that's safe to say. I mean, I wish the man good health and all, but I, I don't think I think I think that's pretty. Un- I mean, it's not. Com- wait, is it? No, it's pretty much completely. Imp- it's pretty much completely impossible. Uh, not, obviously, not, not that he'd be president, but even that Joe Biden would be worried about the world in 2050. Uh this is blather. Uh, we have real problems, things that are affecting us all today, real challenges and concerns, uh, including China, which we'll be talking about shortly. And Joe Biden's focused on getting us to net zero emissions in 30 years. Yeah, that's right. That's what we need to be hearing about now. This is a religious belief, my friends. This this whole the world is going to end. Unless we have green jobs, this is a religious belief. This is not reality. Notice that they've gone back from the world will effectively be over. Nine years to save the world is what we've been told in the past by prominent Democrats. Now it's the damage is irreversible. That's not an unimportant shift. What's the damage? Well, whatever the climate is and whatever weather storms and earthquakes and things happen between now and nine years from now when guess what the world's not going to end because of climate change they'll say oh but if if we had just done more we would be in a we'd be in a better place and we wouldn't have you know all this stuff make sure that the targets that they have make sure they cannot be uh, evaluated honestly that's that's central to the climate change movement what do they really think? The people that don't believe this, they must, they, they believe that they're, they're, the libs think they're so much smarter than everybody who doesn't believe this. I think that's the only way to explain it, because otherwise, can't they, can't they at least agree that we don't want the world to end too? I don't, I don't want the world to end. The liberal belief system is premised on they know how to save the planet, and I just don't care. And, and I'm not smart enough 
to figure, you know, Al Gore is smart enough. Al Gore is a moron. But, you know, Al Gore is smart enough to figure this out. Sure he is. Whew. That's right. They want Biden to be the leader of the free world. You know, I've actually been watching. Uh, I, I shouldn't do this myself. Been watching The West Wing because it's on Netflix. And I just wanted something to kind of zone out to. I never really watched it before. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just such smug, trite, 90s liberalism, you know. And it's just all about, we just want to save lives by banning these different guns. If we ban them, we'll save lives. It's, it's all, it's all, of, it's, oh, man. Makes you kind of miss some of the political arguments of the 90s. But that show, if you watch it, you can see part of the evolution of the, the liberal mindset in this country. Because it went from sanctimonious and pleading in the 90s to now fast forward 20 years. And it is... Uh, psychotic and authoritarian. <laughs> so you, you can actually look at the progression over time and, and it all kind of makes sense. It went from, oh, come on, we just want to like save the world, man. And like, we just, we just want everyone to be happy and things be better. So why don't you listen to our dumb ideas to now it's you will obey our stupid ideas or we will fire you and deplatform you and ruin you. That has been the progression of American liberalism and no, no liberty, no liberty allowed. That's what liberals are into now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is the Goya boycott backfiring? Trump certainly says it is. He says Goya Foods is doing great. I got to say, I'm going to have to go buy some Goya. This, this is one of these moments. This is one of these times when you can put your, your money where your mouth is. I kind of literally in a sense, or not not really your money, but you know what I mean. So it's not, people misuse the word literally more than any other word, I think. They're saying, I'm like literally the most upset person in the universe right now. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's not even, I literally just said something that's not literally true. You have that all the time. I, I hear well-educated adults saying that on a regular basis. I try not to do it. We all have our verbal tics. I have mine. Some of you are aware of them, too, and you send them to me, and it's like, guys, I'm trying, okay? At least I don't do the constant, uh, 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 that I hear on a lot of other radio shows. Nor do I have a voice that sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks played on, on high speed. So, where was I? Goya Foods. Um, Goya Foods is under fire because the CEO stood up and said that he thinks Trump is doing good things. And so they, they tried to come after him. And now we are seeing the results of this, or we are in the process of finding out the results of this. And I certainly hope that everybody will take the position that they want to help Goya Foods at this point in time, if they can. I mean, look, I know money's tight right now for people, but, you know, I'm not saying buy the food and, Throw it out, obviously. Buy the food and eat it. It's good food. Goya's been a good company for a long time. But this, this is what we need to see. We need more people who will do uh, what they say they will do by supporting businesses, by supporting those entities that are under fire from the boycott left. I know Ivanka Trump put out a photo of her with, you know, with a Goya Foods can. And now now the libs are all, oh, my gosh, you know, it's a hatch act violation and corruption and all this stuff. Oh, my gosh, she doesn't own stock in Goya Foods. She's allowed to say, you know, if, if a member of the president's family says 
that they really like oranges is is that a is that a giveaway to the citrus growers in Florida? I mean, I'm sure Libs would say it probably is actually. Now that I think about it, I'm sure that would be their their position. That would be their their view of it. So I want people to do what they can to support this company at this point in time, because this is how we could start. I, you, people ask me, how do we push back? How do we gain back ground that has been lost against the, the lunatic libs? One way is for companies to see every time a company gets boycotted for uh, taking a pro conservative or Republican position that conservatives across the country make sure that they have a great remember the boycott never lasts long the boycotts are very short-term things people have short memories they forget but there's a culture now and the libs know and there's this horrifying twitter account of morons called the sleeping giants and all they do is try to create the perception it's a bunch of libs who create the perception of true widespread public outrage at a conservative and goes after that conservative sponsors and tries to get them de-sponsored and then hopefully get them de-platformed. Uh, and they're doing this. They're doing this against uh, against Tucker Carlson. I mean, they've done this against many people, uh, these movements to, to de-platform. But it, it always lasts a very short period of time. They're, they're never boycotting for a year because no one even remembers in two weeks what the boycott was about. But if executives of a company are all, oh, gosh, I saw some mean things about this person on Twitter and we don't want to be associated with them. They pull their funds and that they can create a snowball effect. They get people shut down. Um, So we need to make sure that that is not a successful tactic for the left. And one way to do that is to to get give them a boost in the stock price. Look. Colin Kaepernick on the other side is an example of the power of politics in consumer markets because, you know, Nike stock went up after Kaepernick came out as a big Nike spokesperson. Right. I mean, so, you know, I, I see that decision and I think that Colin Kaepernick is basically a fraud. But nonetheless, Nike looks at that and says, well, made us money and we feel good about ourselves. So conservatives we we need to start thinking more strategically about this and i i have no shame in telling you you know if you care about this show and what i do and what i say every time you hear one of those live reads where i'm saying you know here's a sponsor drink this coffee try this supplement you know use this service whatever it may be the more of you that are willing and i know money's tight and i'm not anybody you know everyone has to make their own decisions about what they can afford to do and spend and all the rest But the more that you buy those products, the more we stay on the air and the more secure we are for when the boycott monsters come after us, because they will. They will. Inevitably. Inevitably. Um, So just know that. And you ask how we how you can. And, you know, if there's other conservatives you think do really important work, the same goes. Same goes for them. I mean, clearly not as important as the work we do here, but I'm just saying same goes for them. So I, I do hope that there is a surge in buying of Goya and I will. Um, I will go out and get some Goya beans. I, I, I can't. I do not cook any Latino food, particularly. Producer Mark, are are you? Are you like you like Mexican food, right? Of course, Chipotle is like my favorite food group. Yeah, I I need to learn to make some of the, some of that. I just I'm not as familiar with some you of the spices. You can't make tacos. And, like people talk about sofrito, and I'm always like, ah, what? You know, it's like a spice mixture. I don't know much about. No, I've, I've never made. I have. I just realized this as I'm here. And not only have I never bought Goya products before, 
I've never made Latin inspired or you know Latin inspired food. You know how easy it is to make tacos. Yeah, I mean, I probably look. I'm not saying I can't do it. Yeah. I, I love to. I just order Mexican food or go out to eat at a Mexican yeah. restaurant. I don't or. You know, there's actually in New York, we have Puerto Rican restaurants, Dominican restaurants. We have all all kinds of uh, Latino, Peruvian, particularly Peruvian chicken, rotisserie chicken restaurants. You come across a fair amount in New York, um, or at least you did before we were all shut down because people are losing their minds again. Um, but, yeah, I, I want people people should support if they're willing support the Freedom Hut, obviously, uh, by going to our sponsors when you hear me talking about that on the show. But also, um and every single, by the way, every that's one instance where every single thing you do, every time you go to a site and buy a product and use code buck, for example, or go to a site that's set up with uh, slash buck, um, it, it's just it's like a vote. You're clicking the keep buck on the air, keep buck on the air. Um, but Goya beans, too, I'll have to I'll have to check this out. I think my favorite thing is I love the mole sauce. But I, from what I understand, that's like a recipe that's usually passed down from generation to generation and takes like a ton of ingredients and you have to let it simmer for like 48 hours, at least more like four months. I don't know. Like that's what I've heard about mole sauce. Very complicated. I'm more of a canned sauce kind of guy. Sauces is where the chef separates himself from the masses. I'm just going to say it. Sauces is really, you know, because it's so easy to mess up your sauce and the sauce is the first flavor profile you really get from a dish when you eat it. So just saying, man. But if Just I can saying. buy a jar of Taco Bell sauce, why am I going to make my own? Yeah, it is. It is convenient. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Who gets credit for their COVID response as a politician and who gets berated by the media? You'd think then it would be based upon the stats, the numbers, because we, we have very clear, very clear understanding of which places have been hit the worst by this and where there have been the greatest challenges. Let me remind you, I'm going to talk about China in just a, in just a few minutes. I know I'd mentioned that before. We'll do a deep dive onto China. What's going on there? China. That's the, my two favorite Trump words to say are China and probably. You know, I always say, I've never heard anyone else say it like that. Probably. I know you think, Buck, that's you're, That's not. No, he does. Listen to it. He, he always says that word that way. Anyway, uh, so Cuomo is out there. Uh, well, before before I get to Cuomo, actually, CNN is bashing Trump, saying that he's well here. Anderson Cooper. Does anyone? I don't know why. I guess people are in a habit and they think Anderson Cooper is something special for reasons that are completely I don't I don't know why they think that Anderson Cooper is so good at his job or whatever, whatever they think. Uh, so good at what exactly reading off a prompter? A million people can do that job uh, and a million people do do that job. But anyway, here he is talking about Trump in the victory lap. Play seven. More than one hundred and thirty six thousand of our brothers and sisters, our moms and dads, grandparents and friends are dead. The president did briefly mention them, but only to boast about how many more people would have died had it not been for his actions. He calls it leadership, but to call it that would be misleading. The largest single peacetime loss of life in this country since the 1918 influenza pandemic and no end in sight. And today the president was taking another victory lap yet again. The graves are still fresh, but this president ignores them. 
Oh, yeah, the president ignores the graves, Anderson. That's, uh, wow. Um, the president is waking up every day, dealing with this all day, all the time, and has been the subject of journos trying to undermine, attack, and just, uh, you know, slow down the president and his response. I mean, he spends so much time just fending off the lunatic left-wing, you know, attacks on his ability to handle this. And it's it's never enough. Is, is he supposed to go on TV every day and just be solemn and say that we're losing we're losing this battle against COVID-19? We I, I've done a terrible job. Let's put Joe Biden in charge. Unless he said that, you could always do this while the graves are still fresh, while the graves are still fresh. We all are aware of this. It's a terrible situation with COVID-19. It has been for months. It is taking lives. It's ruining lives. It's ruining businesses. And it comes from China. We don't talk about that as much these days, but this could have been avoided if the Chinese government was not so concerned, first and foremost, with maintaining its iron, its iron and illegitimate grip on power in that country. But to say that the president is not paying attention or doesn't care about the bodies is just a reckless slander. It really is. Uh, but that's what they'll continue to say. I mean, I, I talked to the president about this issue. He was he was grave and solemn when I was speaking to him about it in the Oval Office. He's like, this has been a horrible situation. You know, we're doing the best we can. We're fighting through it. We're going to get through it. Do we want a president who's an optimist? While we're in this battle, while we're fighting this war against a virus, or do you want a president who is just constantly telling us that we're, we're screwed no matter what, the end is near, we're all going to die, and until Joe Biden's in charge, everything's going to be terrible. Joe Biden's a moron, all right? The libs can play these games all day about how much they don't like Trump, and he's so awful, and he's so evil. Uh, their alternative to, to Trump's leadership is laughable, laughable. If they had put up a serious candidate, uh, when I say serious, I don't mean has a serious shot of winning. I think Joe Biden, unfortunately, does. I mean a serious human being, a person that anybody should listen to about any. Joe Biden doesn't know squat about squat. But there's still all the sanctimony. There's still all of the the pretense that the real problem here is Trump. I, I go back to this reminds me of when I was on the Bill Maher show right before the pandemic. And I was asking the panel, which I should not have asked quite, you know, it just. It's like dealing with a with a swarm of bees and you got four people around. Blah, 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 Trump is horrible. Blah, 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 blah. And they can curse and, and ha ha. It's all funny when they're cursing about this stuff and you're sitting there like trying to have a real conversation. It's not an easy deal. Trust me. Um, but <laughs> I kept asking, what do you want him to do differently? And they're take it seriously. He's taking it seriously. It's a stupid thing to say. Well, what do you want him to do? Wear a mask? Oh, if Trump wears a mask, then the whole thing goes away. I mean, these... These are unserious points they make because they hate Trump. They hate the Republican Party and his leadership. And they're just pretending that this is really about failures of policy and decision making at the highest levels of the government that would have been better if a Democrat were in charge. No matter who the president was, here's the reality. No matter who the president of the United States was, we were going to be put through hell with this. The question that we do face is, is it going to be longer and is it going to be worse? But it was always going to be hell. And I think the lockdown libs 
are certainly making this whole thing. They're dragging this out, making it longer and more costly than it should be. Um, but that's the central fight that we're going through right now. Uh, Cuomo, the fact that he has the support he does, the numbers he does is just stunning. Play clip eight. I'm sorry. No, not eight, not eight. Uh, play. Uh, oh, no, this is CNN. I'm sorry. I get a brother's Cuomo. This is the thing of, I get the brother's Cuomo confused. Hey, here's Pro Cuomo over at CNN. Hey, play clip six. He keeps saying the only reason we have cases is because we're testing. Like, that's a bad thing, that the testing is the problem. Yeah. You know, as I said earlier on the show, it's like, hey, Don, I just figured out the cure to cancer. Let's stop counting the cases. Yeah. That's what he's recommending. And all that lets you know is, unless literally he is diseased of the mind, like COVID has taken his IQ away, He's only saying this because he wants you to mitigate the relevance of the pandemic because he wants it to go away so the economy can come back faster. What he doesn't seem to get is if you don't deal with the reality of the pandemic, you won't get the economy back. Mm. That's why 27 states are having to step backwards. (sighs) Oh, my God. Deal with the reality of the pandemic. How? What are we going to do? We're going to just when there's more cases and this whole thing that he says, no, no testing means you've dealt with it. That's not what he's saying. There's clearly a rise in cases with a rise in testing when a disease has spread through the whole community. The issue is not cases. The issue is hospitalizations, serious illness and death. Those are the factors. we have, And and there are some hospitals where there are a lot of covid patients right now. Houston has a lot. There's some hospitals in Florida that have a lot. None of them have been overwhelmed. And I just read you the most recent death rate. It's in the 300s. That, that death rate is a fraction of what it was at the peak. And we've had states that, are, that have been in reopen for months. So what is the lesson that we take from this? Well, the lesson the libs take from this is that we should uh, lock down again until, I don't know, I don't know. How long should we really lock down again until... Oh, November sounds about right. It's going to be safe in November to start to live life again, or maybe not till January of 2021 when Joe Biden, they think, will be president. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about China. China. Some of you have been asking me, why haven't we been getting this more on the show? And you're right. I, I haven't uh, spent time on China recently, and I've been meaning to because things are things are heating up. Uh, we have some pretty major policy stuff happening. And, and let's just drill down into a few of them. First of all, uh, in, the, in the State Department has been working on this. Pompeo has been very diligent on these issues. The big thing that's. Uh, some people are worried it's going to lead to even bigger stuff down the line. This is not minor. This is not quite Taiwan uh, level sensitivity for Hong Kong. I mean, for uh, China quite yet. But Hong Kong status, when economic status is pretty close to some of the Taiwan issues that China views as a as a real red line. And maybe maybe some China experts would say it actually is right alongside it. Uh, but there's this national security law. We know we got, we got to step back for a second. There were these protests in Hong Kong that went on for months. And that was last year. And especially 
uh, on social media, you may have seen that at some of these protests, they were singing the U.S. national anthem, waving American flags. Hong Kong, as part of the transfer from the British to the uh, Chinese Communist Party, was promised certain freedoms and certain autonomy. And that was the deal. And then the Chinese Communist Party came along recently and passed this uh, national secure passed instituted. They don't pass laws, right? Instituted this national security law that effectively means that there'll be extradition of anyone in Hong Kong to the Chinese mainland for a whole range of offenses that has to do with uh, speaking, basically speaking out against the government. If, if you do anything like that, you could be sent. And, and if you get sent to the Chinese mainland and you're a political target, you're done. There's no there's no real trial. You have no rights. It's a communist state. Now, it doesn't operate as a truly communist economy, but it is an authoritarian, uh, an authoritarian and really totalitarian regime uh, that operates under principles of just pure thugocracy, right? The, the biggest, strongest, most willing to use force wins. And there are about a thousand people in the Chinese Communist Party that really matter and make decisions for the whole country of a billion people. So that law created a huge surge of anti-government activity, anti-communist party activity in, in Hong Kong. And we saw these protests and I mean, it, it was amazing. And those are brave protesters. Guys, take a moment to separate out. You're not a brave protester when you're screaming in the face of police officers next to Lafayette Square. And then you're going to go drink a latte and be like, ah, oh, my Wellesley professor was right. This country's so racist. Uh, no. No, that's not brave, right? Because our cops are incredibly patient and decent and and respect the rules of engagement with protesters and are usually there 99% of the time to just make sure that protesters are not blocking traffic, not getting hit by cars, and no one's, you know, no fights are breaking out, so on and so forth. You protest the Communist Party in Hong Kong, uh, you are liable to get beaten put in a dark cell and executed right i mean really bad that's it's brave to be a pro-freedom protester in hong kong and many people who are watching this issue and we have been talking about international relations as much on the show because we have problems in the homeland right now obviously but many people who've been watching what's happening in china point to the the global distraction that's going on right now as an opportunity for China to do the the worst stuff that we're always complaining about with uh, the the sending of Uyghurs to concentration camps. Remember, Uyghurs are a uh, Muslim, ethnically distinct from uh, Chinese minority in Western China. I believe it's pronounced Xinjiang province in Western China, and they're being sent by the million you know, million, there's a million, I believe, right now in these concentration camps uh, for re-education. And this is old school, scary, Communist Party, ideological, bare-fisted stuff. So that's happening. Um, the, the Uyghurs are being, you know, viciously oppressed, human rights violations. It's terrible. And you have this crackdown in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has this not only the promise of greater freedoms because of the transfer from the from the British to the Chinese, but also has a special economic status. Well, because of the now in, they've now instituted this national security law, they said they were going to. Then they kind of backed off. 
And now they're going now they're they're going full throttle with this national security law, which just means that all dissent in Hong Kong against and not even just dissent, anyone who doesn't do the bidding of Beijing in Hong Kong of, of the central government uh, is subject to being sent to the mainland, tried in a court where they have no rule, no rights, no rules whatsoever and never heard from again or, you know, put in a, or put in a terrible prison for 10 years or who knows how long. So Trump is taking action on this one. And here's what he says about uh, it's unfortunate because there are a lot, you know, Hong Kong has been a, a, a dynamic, uh, you know, a booming dynamic economy for a long time. Here's what the president says about what's what we're doing in response to the Communist Party instituting the national security law. Play 17. Today, I signed legislation and an executive order to hold China accountable for its oppressive actions against the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act, which I signed this afternoon, passed unanimously through Congress. This law gives my administration powerful new tools to hold responsible the individuals and the entities involved in extinguishing Hong Kong's freedom. We've all watched what happened. Not a good situation. Their freedom's been taken away. Their rights have been taken away. And with it goes Hong Kong, in my opinion, because it will no longer be able to compete with free markets. A lot of people will be leaving Hong Kong, I suspect. Today, I also signed an executive order ending U.S. preferential treatment for Hong Kong. Hong Kong will now be treated the same as mainland China. No special privileges, no special economic treatment, and no export of sensitive technologies. In addition to that, as you know, we're placing massive tariffs and have placed very large tariffs on China. First time that's ever happened to China. Trump is confronting China with all the stuff going on here. He is staying true to this mission. And he does not get enough credit for this because this president was way ahead of the foreign policy consensus on the economic as well as national security threats posed by the Chinese Communist Party. We've had now almost 30 years of failed policy from the intelligentsia and D.C. and in the think tanks. Their claim was that there would be a liberalization that occurred in China as a result of economic growth and wealth that is effectively as China was more intertwined with the global economy and China became a wealthier country with wealthier people now has a, a middle class in China that didn't exist before that it would become, you know, the, what started out with Big Macs and Coca-Cola would turn into uh, representative democracy and a constitution and so on. And so th that, that was the idea. And that's the opposite of what has happened. It's gotten wealthier and it's gotten more aggressive and more authoritarian more aggressive internally and externally. And that's where we get to the other part of this now. The president has also said, or the State Department has also said, obviously on behalf of the president, uh, that there could be uh, additional action as a result of Chinese claims in the uh, South China Sea. The U.S. could, in fact, sanction uh, could in fact sanction entities on that. So now if you're part of the crackdown in Hong Kong, the U.S. could freeze your bank accounts. Uh, the U.S. could take real, and that's, and now we're talking about freezing the bank accounts of Chinese Communist Party members, people that matter to the CCP. And the 
claims in the South China Sea. I mean, you have trillions of dollars of commerce that are flowing through the South China Sea on a regular basis. If you pull it up and look at the South China Sea on a map, you very quickly understand that you've got China, Taiwan, Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei, uh, all these countries that have claims to some of these island chains. Now, there there are a number of reasons that the islands in the South China Sea and there's also a, a, a concern in the East China Sea with uh, claims between uh, China and, and Japan, uh, notably the uh, Senkaku or Daiyu island chain. But the South China Sea is where there's real that that's because there's so much commerce that flows through there. Uh, the claim about who will control that is this is the most likely this is the most likely flashpoint for armed conflict involving the Chinese Communist Party in the in the whole world that will result in full scale war. Because some of you are thinking, wait, hold on a second, Buck. In recent weeks, we had Chinese soldiers and Indian soldiers coming to blows, quite literally hand to hand combat way up in the in the mountains that separate, you know, at, at high altitude that separates uh, China from from India. And that's just over. That's effectively, though, a, a border dispute, unlikely to spill over into a full out conflict, full on conflict between India and China. India is a, a country that the U.S., in my opinion, uh, we need to be making as many, uh, you know, we, we need India to be as close to us as Japan post-World War II has come to us just on on, on policy. And I mean, and we're, we've made a lot of strides. The problem with the U.S. relationship with India stretches back to the Cold War when India was under the you know, was very close to the Soviets and, uh, and was socialist. And so we were using Pakistan as our proxy in the region. And so there was this great game, global great game politics playing out where, where we were you know, close to. If you've seen Charlie Wilson's war, you have some understanding this. we were close to Zia al-Haq uh, uh, running Pakistan. And there was some bad feeling among the uh, Indian nationalists and the Indian government with the U.S. that lingered from from that era. Anyway, because India and Pakistan completely hate each other, as we know, as countries. And if you're looking for a place that's most likely to have a nuclear exchange, that's where it would be, India and Pakistan still. But in the South China Sea, you have uh, these different island chains. And these island chains not only are useful because china has shown us that they will build out what is a very small with a, a very small coral island chain effectively uh they'll build that out or to being airfields they'll use this for strategic military purposes and on top of that there's also the claim to resources and fishing and mineral rights surrounding so you know if you're china and you say this is our territory this little island and you're saying that's mainland China now, or that, I should say not that that's a part of mainland China. It's obviously not the mainland. Uh, you're then going to draw on a map, you know, a radius and say, and these are our territorial waters around this island. So this is uh, where you have a real possibility of of continued conflict. And, and the fiery cross reef, that's the place you've seen where there's imagery of airfields that have been built up from what was just a uh, almost a nothing island chain. So these are the places where you're you're going to see 
continuing uh, tension rise of China. Oh, and then there's 5G. Let's talk about 5G, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things 5G will be. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Joe Biden's entire career has been a gift to the Chinese Communist Party and to the calamity of of errors that they've made. They made so many errors and it's been devastating for the American worker. China has taken out hundreds of billions of dollars a year from our country and we rebuilt China. I give them all the credit in the world. I don't give the credit for the people that used to stand here because they allowed this to happen where hundreds of billions of dollars were taken out of the United States Treasury in order to rebuild China. Trump's right. Biden was wrong on China all along. Been in Washington over 40 years and wrong on China every step of the way. Joe Biden's been wrong on every foreign policy challenge every step of the way, but you're supposed to forget about all that because Trump is the orange man and he's bad. But I mentioned 5G a second ago, and I'm not going to skip past that. So here's where we are on 5G. Uh, the U.S. has said, no Huawei, no way. Kind of like that. Uh, on our networks. Now, 5G, first of all, Huawei is a major Chinese telecom company with the backing of the Chinese Communist Party. It's, it's huge. And they are advanced in 5G technology. And some, some countries are allowing Huawei to install 5G networks. 5G, you're used to 4G on your phone right now, most likely. Uh, it just has to do with the speed, the data speed that you have. 5G networks are coming, but it's a little bit slow because you have to uh, you have to be within with the phone technology as it is right now. You've got to be in direct really line of sight to these 5G um, uh, little mini towers that you can see sometimes. So they're building it out place by place in this country. It's coming along and slowly. What would 5G mean? You could upload a movie in a few seconds. I mean, what would a two gigabit, three gigabit movie would be a matter of seconds before you'd have the whole thing uploaded. Why does this matter so much? Because in the Internet of Things, autonomous driving vehicles, all kinds of constant uh, device computations and, and algorithms running, everything just moves faster and it moves at a speed where much more is possible and much more. There's much greater capability. So. And for our purposes, it would just mean that you could probably do virtual reality in real time. I mean, there's all kinds of applications that people are expecting in the future, but it's being built out slowly. What's the problem with Huawei? Huawei is a one of these state supported enterprises, state backed enterprises in China that they use for strategic national interests. And they want them to be helping to build. They want China to be building infrastructure in countries. The UK just joined along with Australia and the US and saying, uh -uh, no Huawei, not going to do it. The reason for this is if we have 5G networks become embedded in our way of life, think of all of the data that will be running over there. And then think of this in a national security context. What if they can create backdoors in the software or even just weak points in the software that they know about that they can then exploit to either take data or in a worst case scenario, shut down our systems during an attack. That's what the real concern is. If we do have a uh, a military exchange with China, the worry is that we would have to uh, we, we, we don't want to be in a position 
where the Chinese Communist Party can say, oh, okay, well, we're going to shut off all of your electric stuff that works right now because of the backdoor we built into your 5G network. That's that's in shorthand the concern. Some people say they're still going to do this. Any you know, they're still trying to do this anyway. Some people say this is overblown. Um, I think it's the right move. Uh, We need to start viewing China as the as the competitor and opposition force that it is for U.S. national interests. We are not we are now in a zero sum game with China on a lot of issues and we need to act accordingly. We should not be thinking of how we can help the Chinese become wealthier and stronger as a country. That was U.S. policy, bipartisan policy for decades, including from failures like Biden. Uh, Now in the Trump era with the sanctions, with the uh, tariffs, with these different policies that are put in place, we're finally treating China the way that China has been treating us, which is as a power to be overcome. This is the right move. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, it is the roll call time. Producer Mark loves it when I sing to him before the show, by the way. It's his favorite thing. He doesn't threaten to shut off his microphone and stop working for the day when I sing to him. Just so you know, that that does not. I have a best of ready for next time you do it. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, boy. All right. Here we go. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And uh, let's see what we got here. In the Oh, and don't forget, we're post- posting the Buck Brief every day on Facebook. So please like and share to your page and check it out. It's a four minute quick rundown of everything you need to know from today. And it's a great way to get people to know about our show. So if you share it on your page, other people will see it. And then Team Buck grows. And then we can get producer Mark a nice holiday bonus this year and so on and so forth. So we want that to happen. That's a good joke. There's got well, well, you don't know. You don't know. It could be. All right, we'll see. Yeah. All right. First up here, we have and just for that, I'm going to go rogue and go into the uh, the Instagram inbox for you know Freedom Patriot 997's message and just read it in real time and hope that it doesn't have a lot of profanity in it. All right, we got this. Uh, let's get to it. We have Randy. I got really excited saying that name. I don't know why. Um, you know, did the Macho Man Randy Savage pass away? Or is he still I around? I think so. Hold on. I, feel, I can't remember. With wrestlers, for some reason, I can't remember who's still with us and who's not. Hulk Hogan's still around, right? Hogan is still around. Uh, Randy Savage did pass away in 2011. Ah, yeah. I thought, I thought we lost the ma- Macho Man Randy Savage. That's a shame. He was a great... He was a great professional wrestler. I went through a phase where I actually really, when I was a kid, I really liked professional wrestling. I mean, that was back in the Iron Shake and uh, who, uh, uh, ooh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. That didn't end well. I'm trying to think of some other. This the Ultimate Warrior, my time. that didn't end well. When I was wow, a kid, a lot, there was. A lot, of wrestling, a lot of wrestling casualties from the WWF days. Well, yeah, they, uh, they put a lot of stress on their bodies before everyone knew 
what it was actually like, what it was actually doing to their bodies. If we know, yes, it is fake, it's scripted, the physical toll on their bodies is still very real. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And yeah, also, you know, putting on, uh, you know, if you're six feet tall and you put on 100 pounds of muscle, um, the hormones and things that you will often take, let's just say, to do that are not good for people usually. Oh, yeah, back then they took uh, the roids like they did water. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you see some of those wrestlers back in the day, there's, you know, people don't look like that anymore. I mean, you don't get that big because that's just not natural. All right. Um, Well, also true about bodybuilding. Bodybuilders back then, there was a phase in the 80s where bodybuilding, there were guys who, did you ever see the Ronnie, by the way, I don't know if, well, I've never read that he used any of these substances or not. But Ronnie Coleman, you seen the Ronnie Coleman documentary? I have not. I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's like the most famous bodybuilder of all time. It's just unbelievable to see a guy who has that much muscle walking around. He's like nothing. It's, there's, it's crazy. It, it, the documentary on him is actually pretty interesting. It's on Netflix. Anyway. All right, Randy. Not Macho Man Randy Savage. Hey, Buck, Shields High. You've mentioned that the president seems to have lost the fire in his belly recently and is not fighting back the way he used to. My personal opinion is that when he threatened using the military to quell the riots, but Secretary Esper and General Milley publicly came out and said they would not order the military to go against American civilians, even just to help calm things down, that seemed to take the, oh, that seemed to take the wind out of Trump's sails. Um, I, yeah, look, I, I, the, president, the president had a terrible June, no question. Terrible June. Politically, it just was a mess. A mess. So was it that? I think there were a lot of things, Randy. I think your analysis is uh, is certainly in line with with what the case is. What was the single biggest issue? I think it's tough to say. Matthew. Hey, Buck, just heard your review of Midway. Good stuff. Wanted to ask you, did you see Dunkirk when it came out? I love Christopher Nolan and all his movies and would love to know your opinion if you have one. Keep it up. Shields high. Matthew. Um, first of all, thank you so much for writing in and I appreciate the question. Uh, did I like Dunkirk? It was OK. I thought it was a little boring. I thought it was a little boring. Um, I thought they should have made more of. Um, I think it was the, the holdout at, I think it was at Calais. Pardon me. I might be messing up my world war two off the cuff history now, but where the units were told to basically fight to the last man so they could hold off. I just think there was more they could have done with that aspect of the story to see. Cause yeah, I get it. They're on the beach. There's tension, but it's a lot of like guys on boats kind of going slowly. Like, Oh, Oh, this is our duty. We're going to do this. And, uh, Hopefully those chaps will get right on the boat and we'll go back. You know, and you're like, all right. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a little slow, a little slow, which a movie about a war and that war in particular in that situation shouldn't feel slow. It was very tense, though. It was very taut. Not quite as tense as the movie that producer Mark likes about the guy selling gems, which still I just think about and it raises my blood pressure and I might have a heart attack from it. Which was what makes it a good thriller suspense movie. We're just we're just never gonna we're just never gonna agree on this one. But um, there you have it, Kelvin. Kelvin, interesting. Buck, I know you focus on your disdain for public sector unions, 
but I have been in the IBEW for my entire adult life, and we are lumped into public and private sectors. Spread across everything from municipalities, military, corporate builders, private 1099 ventures, co-ops, and residential, I love me some co-op utilities. They cut out the big payout to the mayor's favorite SJW projects and stockholding investors. They pay the employees well and provide great services. How do you feel about unions like mine that are blended into private and public sectors? Well, my friend, um, as I've said before, there, there, are, there are good unions. Um, you know, there are good unions and unions... You know, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW, uh, is critical. And, you know, I mean, the people that are doing that work, that's essential work. Uh, private sector, st- but that but that's still private sector labor that maybe does some work for the public sector. So you're talking about a blended union that does some public sector stuff, but you're still doing a private sector job, in my mind. Whereas if you're working like in the state capitol as a secretary or something, it, you're, that that's public sector, right? If you're working in a public school, that's public sector. You're not also doing private sector work, or at least not under the auspices of your union. So I think that there's some distinction to be had there. But, you know, Kelvin, I, you know, the IBEW, it sounds like it does well for its employers. I mean, for its uh, for the employees, rather, who are under its aegis. And I think that unions have unions have had benefits in the past for people and you know, so it's all about which one we're talking about and when we're talking about it. But like I said, coal miners unionizing. Yeah, I get it. Uh, people who are part of the bureaucracy of a state government unionizing. No, no, I don't get it. Stephen, Mark, you beautiful son of a <laughs> listening to that clip of the real Hillary was more painful than listening to Buck's impression of her. And that impression is as enjoyable as listening to Gilbert Gottfried's reading the IRS tax code while having ants crawling on my eardrums. I've never believed in trigger warnings until now. Producer Mark, would you like to tell Stephen you're sorry? I'm so sorry, Stephen. But I would be interested in hearing Gilbert Gottfried read the tax code. I think that'd just be funny. I think so, too. It'd be the only time I'd ever want to hear the tax code. What was the last thing Gilbert Gottfried did? Can you think of it? I mean, I know he was the uh, Affleck, Affleck, like like the duck, right? That was him. Yeah, he um, does. He just pops up here and there. Yeah, uh, he. Uh, you know what his greatest thing ever was, in my opinion, Iago in Aladdin. That was the huh. that was the Gilbert Gottfried pinnacle, I think. He actually, uh, when I was working with the New York Mets broadcast, he went into the booth with the announcers, and he knows nothing about baseball, but he was promoting something. So you know how uh, you're not good with baseball, but you know how a, a strikeout is called a K? Yes. So they have a board with a bunch of Ks up, and I guess the pitcher had three strikeouts. So he goes, what is it? What is this? Why does it say KKK in left field? Obviously a joke, but he had no idea what K stood for. But to an outsider, it is a worthwhile question. Yeah, that's true. To someone who knows nothing about baseball, sure, but... To most baseball people listening to that broadcast, they know. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. Jeff writes, hey, Mark and Buck, pretty sure if y'all moving out of New York and New Jersey, 
Y'all need to warm up your grill skills. Down here in the summer, the grill goes more than the oven. Uh, yeah. If I if I could, I would certainly be doing more grilling. I, uh, the grill is a lot of fun. I will say that I made something yesterday that I saw a recipe for this online. I thought maybe this would be worth doing. I made rosemary salt. So it was rosemary with some rosemary, sage, uh, a little bit of crushed garlic and some lemon zest, just effectively uh, or essentially pureed with salt. And then you use that as a special. It is bonkers level good on meat, fish, whatever. I say go for it. And you also really save a lot of time because you're not constantly you do one big batch of it. And for a week or two, for all of your meats, you've got this seasoned salt, but it's fresh seasonings in your salt. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And producer market is not complicated. So if you wanted to give it a shot, you could. I think uh, once I'm able to grill often, I'll get better at cooking. Yeah, no, grilling is great. Because grilling also, the smell as you're doing it and the being outdoors and all this is really, really something special. But yeah, in New York, because we don't have... You, most of you listening to this probably have uh, some kind of a yard or outdoor space that's your own. In New York, if you have outdoor space, you probably walk around with a top hat and a monocle and talk about how all the poor people are getting in the way today, you know? Uh, it's really tough to have, in Manhattan, a yard. <laughs> some people do, but it's not an easy thing to pull off. Right now, I can't even see your steak without the smoke alarm going off. I have the same problem, and I don't know why... I think there's a way to push it, so maybe it goes into hush mode, so it won't do that for 15 minutes or something, but my smoke alarm constantly goes off, but it's worth it for that yeah. tasty, tasty steak. My wife just tells me I'm a bad cook. Well, that's you're just you're just out of practice, Producer Mark. That's all. Sure, we'll go Ty with that. Tyler, if you're looking to refer to what those of us on the right, instead of conservative or even classic liberal, it's patriot. Tyler, I like that. Libs will complain and say they're patriots, too. But, yeah, I like that. I think that uh, I, I, I agree. Richard. Oh, you know, there's a there's a new um, a new contender for the name of the Redskins team. And I really mean this. I think one day they're going to go back and bleep the Redskins name even from broadcasts. I think that you're not even. Able, it's the name of the team. I don't know what else to say, but that's. Uh, I think that they're going to, or rather what they're talking about. Name, do you know this one, Producer Mark? Do you hear this? I don't. They're, they, the Navajo Nation, which I believe is the largest Native American actual official tribe in the United States, the Navajo Nation has, has suggested to the team that they call them the Washington Code Talkers, a reference to those uh, Navajo, uh, Navajo Nation individuals who fought for America in the Second World War. There's actually a movie with Nicolas Cage about this called Wind Talkers, but they were, I think, more often referred to as the Code Talkers. Not a, not a, not a bad name. I mean, I, you know, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, pretty cool, actually. Man, it's so, interesting. Yeah, I mean, two, it's two words. It's a shame it's not just like one, one you know, one word would be better for a team. Do we, are there any... Two name, obviously there's the, you know, like the, the Buffalo Bills, but I mean the actual name of the team, not the plays. Are there any two name teams? Or two word, I'm sorry, two word teams. Yeah, the two Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets? Yeah, that's that's the first one off the top of my head. The, oh, the Blue Jays, right? That's a team. Yeah, the Blue Jays are the Toronto baseball team, yep. Right. See, look at that with the baseball knowledge from Buck. Um, 
It used to be in Tampa Bay the Devil Rays, but now it's just the Rays. Yeah, see, people want one for branding purposes. They really want... But but look, Code Talkers respect the Code Talkers. That's cool. That's honoring people that deserve to be honored. So I I, got to say, I was like, okay, that's a pretty... You know, that would be pretty cool. Um, Anyway, Steve... Wait, no, we got Richard... Buck, everyone's painting slogans on streets. There's a Chinese embassy in Houston. Why doesn't Ted Cruz or some other patriots go down and paint Uyghur Lives Matter in front of the embassy or stand with Hong Kong? It would be nice to see us poke these commies and watch the libs say how it's wrong to graffiti the street when they painted BLM on two streets in Houston. Shields and paintbrushes high. Well, Richard, uh, what we know is that painting things on the streets doesn't change anything, really. So but I, I hear what you're saying, and I understand the point, and it's well taken that there would be all of a sudden the uh, the libs would would be very concerned about vandalism or very concerned about politicization of our streets, even for something as worthwhile as as you know, a freedom for Hong Kong. Um, but I don't think that that's uh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So but thank you for writing in, my friend, Steve. Buck, I really enjoy your show. I've followed you closely for the last couple of years. Your voice is among the few fighting against the crazy liberal narrative, the misinformation and lamestream media these days. I thank you for it. With the virus running rampant again, it's clear the lockdown approach has not worked. It's as if we've shot ourselves in the foot with the damage caused to the economy. Why do Democrats continue to push for unloading the whole clip via another lockdown? It's completely asinine. We cannot and should not hide and cower in fear from this virus. But those in high risk categories should take extra precautions. Lastly, you are absolutely crushing it on impressions lately. Your infusion of humor into the show every day has set it apart from other conservative podcasts. Fauci and his mitigation has me laughing every time. Thank you again for your time and the work you do every day. And I'll continue to share your show with friends and family that will listen surrounded by liberals out here. Shields high. Hey, thank you, Steve. Great, great message. Appreciate it. Team, check in on BuckSexon.com when you can. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields hot.